So have you ever had to wait in line? Ever had to wait in line somewhere? You know, I, I love food. I mean, I, I do. I, I love food, especially steak and chicken and fish and well, pretty much any meat and bacon and donuts. I mean, you know, just the basic food groups, you know. And, and I love food, but I will not wait for food. I, I will not wait for food. And not because I'm, I'm angry or impatient. That's not it. I'm not angry. I'm not impatient about waiting for food. I am simply hungry. I'm just, I'm just hungry. I will joyfully drive down the road and eat a, a hot dog at a gas station before I will go to a nicer restaurant and hold one of those little pagers and stand outside waiting for those red lights to light up to tell me that I now can go inside, sit down at a table, order, and continue to wait to eat. I don't want to wait to eat. I'm just, I'm just hungry. I'm just, I'm ready to eat. Yes, that is a good amen. I agree. The only time that I can think of that I've ever waited for food was with my friend Brent of BP Skinner Clothiers in the Vista. Yeah, I, just, I had to plug him just for a second. But Brent and I were in Boston, and we were at this place called Neptune Oyster. We waited for an hour and a half in line to eat at this restaurant. We were the first people in line that morning. Nobody was there. We got there that early. By the time the doors opened, there were about 100 people wrapped around the block, maybe more than 100, I don't know. And I can say from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my stomach, it was worth every single minute, every single minute. I will never forget and never care about waiting for that food. The lady right behind us in line that day uh, became our buddy. Her name was Trish. Trish was from Houston. And ironically, the only other place that I have any intentions of ever waiting on food is in Houston. Brent called me one morning, and I think it was about 10 o'clock, and he had just pulled up at Killen's Barbecue outside of Houston. And he said, man, this place doesn't open for an hour, and there's already 50 people waiting in line. Now, one day, I will wait in that line, and I am really, really, really excited. I don't know when that day will be, but, but it's coming. Sometimes, though, we aren't voluntarily waiting in line for pulled pork or brisket, right? Sometimes we're, we're forced to wait in line. We're waiting in line at the DMV. We're waiting in line at the voting booth. We're, we're waiting in line at the ticket counter for New Kids on the Block concert. You know, we don't judge here. But if we did, maybe don't wait in that line, okay? Or maybe you're waiting in line at the airport. And when you're waiting in line at the airport, I mean, what do you do when you're waiting for your plane? Well, I mean, naturally, you, you have a hula hoop contest, right? I mean, that's what everybody do when you, when you wait on your plane. Uh, this past Tuesday at the Los Angeles International Ex Airport, there was uh, a gate for Southwest Airlines, and the employees of Southwest Airlines sponsored a little hula hoop contest right there for everybody at the gate. Uh, Southwest, Air Southwest Airlines says that their employees often do things like this and that, that at the gate you can win prizes. You can even win vouchers for plane tickets. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I will hula hoop in an airport if I can win a ticket to fly to Boston for chowder or a ticket to Houston for brisket. I will hula hoop just about anywhere to win a ticket. If we're honest, though, the reality is most of us don't like waiting in line, do we? From little children to senior adults and all of us in between, we have become an extremely impatient culture. We don't want to wait on anything. And we do get bothered and we, we do get aggravated when we have to wait. But what if I were to tell you that, that waiting 
is actually one of the best things you could possibly do to deal with loneliness, discouragement, depression, anger, frustration, and despair. What if the concept of mastering what it means to wait would actually be the one thing that would help you in the most difficult moments of life, the most difficult emotions of life, the most difficult attitudes in life, all connected to waiting? What kind of waiting are we talking about? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, listen to Philippians chapter 3 beginning with verse 20. Paul writes, for our citizenship is in heaven. Someone might be a professional athlete for a sports team here in our country, and and they might live in this country. They might even be a citizen of this country. But they were born in another country. So when the Olympics roll around, that person, that athlete, they may decide to go compete on the team for their home country, the country that they were born in. They have two citizenships, so to speak, and and we as believers, we we have the same. If you're a Christian, you are a citizen of your nation, of your country, but you are also a citizen of heaven. You have a a dual citizenship. But Paul's wanting us to, to dive a little deeper into this Olympic pool. See, we say things like this, don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you come from. Paul's saying, don't forget where you're going. If I were to move to another country for a while and and get some kind of work visa and and live and work there for a bit, I would be there, but I would not have the same privileges that a citizen would. I would just be a, a visitor there. And Paul's reminding us that as believers, we are visitors on this earth. Our citizenship as Americans, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's, it's stunning. It's, it's breathtaking. And if we're honest, sadly and sinfully, far too often we take it for granted. God has shed his grace on our nation. And God is continuing to shed his grace on our nation. And he has blessed us. And we should praise him and worship him for those blessings. But if for any reason. God decided to no longer give and shed his unique grace on our nation. It would not impact my security, my safety, my joy, my hope, or my freedom. Why? Because my ultimate security and safety and joy and hope and freedom is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And there's absolutely nothing and no one who can ever take my freedom in Christ away. I am a citizen of heaven. Paul says, be thankful for your earthly citizenship. Be wise as you live on this earth. Be a good citizen of the nation that you live. But he says, don't forget where you're going. Don't forget your other citizenship. Now, some people might say, okay, so yeah, you're you're talking about heaven, being a citizen of heaven. Okay, the Bible talks about it. I know Jesus said that heaven exists, and and the Bible says heaven exists, but but you know what? I, I can't see it, and I can't touch it, so I don't know. I just don't feel like it's real. Okay. So think of it this way. They see the growth. They see the outer change, and they see the the inward pictures. 
but it's really not until they are holding that baby in their hands that those expectant parents feel like the whole thing is real. But you know what? It was real the whole time. And Jesus has given us more than just a, a 4D video sonogram for us to believe in what it means to be a citizen of heaven. This is what Jesus said, John 14, verse 2. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, that sentence should be enough. That sentence alone should be enough for us just because of Christmas. Just because of Christmas. Jesus saying that he is going to prepare a place for us, it should be enough for us just because he was born in Bethlehem. What does that mean? Well, Jesus being born in Bethlehem is one of about 300 Old Testament prophecies that he fulfilled. I've shared with you before the notations of the late college math professor, Peter Stoner. He said that the probability of just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, the probability of, of Jesus being able to do that, he gives this math, one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, for people like me that really didn't get past addition flashcards, he gives us a little bit of a, a practical picture to help us see what that math really means. And this is how he does it. And he says, you know what? Take a silver dollar and make a mark on it. And then take that silver dollar and put it among enough silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas. And not just to cover the state of Texas, but two feet deep in silver dollars all over the state of Texas. And then blindfold a man and send him out wandering all over Texas and tell him he can pick up one silver dollar. That's all he can pick up is one. And this is what Peter Stoner says. His chances of picking the marked silver dollar are the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing just eight prophecies apart from divine inspiration and having them all come true in one man. And that man was Jesus. And yet all of the prophecies, not just eight, all of them, they all came true. Every vow, hundreds of vows made about Jesus, they all were fulfilled. But being born wasn't the only way that Jesus affirmed the reality of heaven. Jesus was executed by Roman soldiers on a cross. And three days later, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And he is alive today. He is alive right now. More than 500 people saw the risen Jesus. Do you know how hard it is to get five people to give it to you straight? You know how hard it is to get five people to get their story straight, much less 500 people? Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was risen from the dead. And then his closest friends, they saw Jesus physically rise into heaven. If you're a Christian, you have at least eight and more than 300 reasons to believe that your citizenship in heaven is real. But maybe you're still struggling. Maybe you just have way too much stress in your life right now. Or, or maybe there's just too many practical things going on and you're just like, ah, you know, heaven, I, I just can't make a connection with it. Okay. F.B. Meyer from over 100 years ago has this encouragement to us. He says this, this may not be 
help you much now, but I pray you meditate on it for a few moments daily, and you will find it becoming a growing force to withdraw you from the things of this world and to attach you to the things of the other world. You will come to reckon that you must set your affection on that city to which you belong. That you must lay up your treasures there where neither moth nor rust corrupt. And that you must regulate your conduct by the regulations that rule in that city. Every regenerate person, by the fact of the new birth, has obtained the franchise of the city of God. I love that language. Listen, I want to go on record to say that that I really want a franchise of Tacos for Life here in the Midlands. It's just, I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you. They started in Conway, Arkansas. I don't know how many stores they got now, but, but they're growing, and I'm telling you, it, it's just, it's fantastic. I, I, don't, I don't have to make any money off of it. I don't want to run it. I don't want to manage it. I just want to be part of it coming. I think it's a, a cool restaurant. They do cool things for people in need, and, and the food is, is just fantastic. And I'm just, you know, someone will bring it to the Midlands, all right? It's coming. And when you go and when you enjoy it, you're going to go, Dow was right. Man, he was right on that. I just, I want all that on public record. But Christian, you have been given the franchise to the city of God. In Christ, we've been given the the franchise to the city of God. And, And Meyer, he's right. If we would just think about it, it may not feel like much now. It may not seem like much now. You may have way too much happening in your life this week that you can't make a connection with being a citizen of heaven. But if we would, if we would think on it, if we would meditate on it, it would be a force in our lives, a force in our hearts and our minds and our soul that actually brings peace and brings hope and brings joy and brings Paul doesn't want us just to to think about it. He wants us to do something with it. So, does your conduct match your citizenship? I mean, just think casually about just this past week. Your actions at home or, or at work or at church, your actions at the mall, your actions sitting in traffic. Your actions waiting in line at the restaurant. Your actions waiting in line at the ATM to the person that got out of their car and walked around instead of just reaching from their car. How, how have you done this week at, at looking like you're a citizen when you're just in the normal things of life? We're not talking about perfection. But I mean, generally speaking, can people look at us and see any glimpses that we have dual citizenship? Any glimpses that we really are a a citizen of heaven? That that force of confidence in Jesus is is somewhere in our life or or even in the ballpark? I heard a a funny way to kind of think about this. Our our team, our Guatemala team, they got delayed for a long time yesterday in the airport in Dallas. And um, they finally got there uh, to their hotel in Guatemala City last night. But but they, I think their flight itself was delayed for maybe an hour and a half, and then I think there were some other things. It was pretty late when they got there. But, but when they got to the, to the Dallas airport, they were stuck for a while. And so they found somewhere to, you know, play cards and, you know, a little place to hang out. And, 
You know, I'm, I'm online texting all the places they should go eat in the airport, you know. Um, and and so, so they, were, they had to hang out there for a little while. But here's the thing. Here's what they did not do. They did not go to that area and all set up some tents and, and start building some campfires because they were going to stay there for a few days. No. They, they were just there for a few hours until their next flight, until the plane took them somewhere else. Listen, I know you have a lot on your schedule this week. You maybe have to go to the doctor or something heavy's happening at work. Maybe something's going on with your family. I don't know, maybe you're taking vacation this week. But, but there's things going on, and because there's things going on, it's really hard for us to stop and think of the reality of what I'm about to say. But this is true. This is real. We are only passing through. We really are. It's hard for us to feel that. It's, it's hard for us to embrace it, but... But it, it really is true. Jesus had been arrested, and he was in front of, of the Roman leader, Pilate. And Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Because if you are, this, this whole thing's strange, because the Jews are the one that turned you over to me. What in the world did you do? This is how Jesus responded to Pilate. John 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Listen, Jesus was not trying to make Galilee great again. Jesus never told his disciples, I want you to build a bigger, better empire than those Roman people did. Never. If his kingdom was not here, then neither is ours if we're following him. We are citizens of the heavenly realms. That is where we are going. If you're still here, which you are, we're still here. So, so here's why we're still here. We are still here to know Christ, to enjoy Christ, to live for Christ, and to share Christ. If we are citizens of heaven, then we need to live out our citizenship now. We, we begin living as citizens of heaven now. And why do we do that? Here's why we do that. Because the people in your neighborhood and the people in this community and the people in our state and the people in this world, your fellow citizens and the citizens of countries like Guatemala and other places far across the world, those citizens, those people need to discover that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So we live for Jesus now. We live out our citizenship now. How do we go about doing that? Paul gives us some help. That's the next part of verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait. What does it mean to be eager for something? Well, in this context, it means that we're willing to wait. Whatever it is is of such value that we're willing to wait for it. Listen, I am eager always for some clam chowder from Neptune Oyster. I'm eager always for the Neptune burger that had fried oysters on it. Oh my goodness, I could eat it right now. I can see it right now. It's amazing. I've learned to be eager for that, and I'm willing to wait for it. 
And one day I'm going to learn the value of a, a plate of pulled pork and brisket and bone-in pork belly at Killen's Barbecue outside Houston. And I'm going to learn what it means to be eager for that, and I'm going to be willing to wait for it. See, we, we understand the concept of being eager. We, we understand the concept of being willing to wait. But, but let me just defend this for a moment. Why is it that doesn't seem to transfer from our favorite restaurant to Jesus? What's one of your favorite cities in the world? Maybe it's a, a city right here in our state. Maybe you're a Charleston person. Maybe you're an Asheville person. Maybe it's a city somewhere else in our country. Maybe it's a, a city somewhere else in the world. Maybe it's a city that you've been to before. Maybe you've been to many times or you've never been and you just dream about going to. Think about that city as, as amazing and mesmerizing and entertaining and fantastic and relaxing and rewarding as that city may be or that you may imagine it to be. Will that city last forever? This is what the Bible said, Hebrews 13, verse 14. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. There are no lasting cities on the earth as we know it, but there is a lasting city in heaven. Theodosia Anna Howard was born in Ireland in 1800. She was saved and converted in 1819. In 1822, she married Richard Wingfield. Well, Richard, back in 1809, had become the fifth Viscount of Powers Court which means that after she was married, she became known as Lady Powers Court. That's a cool name, Lady Powers Court. Lady Powers Court and Richard, they, they had a baby, but their child died when the child was still just an infant. And Richard died the year after they got married. Rather than wrap herself up with anger or fear or despair or discouragement or depression, Lady Powers Court found deep comfort in Christ. The gospel became her life. The gospel cheered her weary soul on. She once said this, the Christian is not a man who standing on earth looks up to heaven, but who being in heaven looks down upon earth. And throughout his life, he recognizes that he is a foreigner indeed. Why should we be eager to live like that? Why should we be eager to live like foreigners? Why should we be eager to live in this heavenly way? William Barclay has a fantastic answer for our hearts. He said this, people who ignore their homeland voluntarily make their own lives miserable by refusing the delights which God has set before them. And if that were not all, it were a small matter, but see how many other problems follow the neglect of these heavenly delights? This neglect will dampen, if not destroy, their love of God. It will make even the thinking or speaking of God unpleasant. It leaves them in the power of every trouble and temptation. It will also make them afraid and unwilling to die. For who would want to go to a God or a place he has no delight in? Who would leave his pleasure here if he did not know a better place to go? See, in eagerly waiting for heaven, 
and eagerly waiting for our citizenship in heaven, what we actually do is we create hope, we create joy, we create freedom, we create satisfaction in our lives because of what God has done. But if we refuse to live as citizens, then we actually are rejecting the one way that God has designed for us to not be miserable. Do you want to do something selfish? Live like a citizen of heaven? It's good for you. God designed it to deal directly with our misery. But we're not just waiting for a city. We're not just waiting for a place. There's, there's something else that we eagerly wait for. Listen to what Paul says next. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. What's one really good reason to be a citizen of heaven? You get a new body. That's a perk, you know. And and the description here is like a a transformed, resurrected body, kind of like the resurrected body of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a big perk. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with your body right now? (laughs) <laughs> Anything? I mean, I got, I got some things wrong, you know. Our, our bodies, they, they creak a little bit, you know, as we get older. Our bodies are, are one of the things that, that are constantly changing in our lives, right? The wrinkles, the sickness, the weakness, fading memory, fading health, fading hair. You know, we, we, we experience these things in life. But the one thing that is the most dramatic change that all of us face in life that that we tend to try to ignore is death. It's the most dramatic change that we face. You know, we need to be super thankful for how God is using so many doctors and research scientists to, to change the way we handle medicine and surgery, these, these systems of wellness and health that they create. We need to be super thankful for the cures that have already been discovered, the ones they are still discovering, and we need to pray that they will keep discovering more cures for the diseases that ravage our world. But there is no cure for that that one thing. See, no matter what kind of cures they can bring in my life or whatever kind of disease I may have over the next 50 or 90 plus years, there is no cure for death. Billy Graham said this, we can't bargain with death. When Queen Elizabeth I lay dying, she whispered, all my possessions for a moment of time, but she couldn't strike a bargain with death. He goes on, I have learned that you can tell how a person values life by his estimate of death. What a person believes about death shows what he thinks about life. So, what do you believe about death? Are you a citizen of heaven? If so, that changes what you believe about death. It changes how you think about death. It changes how you look at death. The following thought is often attributed to Billy Graham. He said something similar, but it was actually one of his preaching heroes that originally said it and wrote it back in the late 1800s. Dale Moody said this, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. 
Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And the promise of God in and through Jesus is that if you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, then you too will one day have a transformed body. What does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. I mean, and the Bible gives us some pictures, but we don't know all the odds and ends. But I, I love what John Wolvort says. It will be a body that is timeless in its character and will never wear That's good enough for me. If, if that's all it is, that's, that's good enough for me. And see, if you are truly saved, if, if you're a citizen of heaven, then Jesus Christ will transform your weak and weary body into a body that knows nothing but peace, nothing but joy, nothing but freedom, and will love being in his presence forever and ever and ever. And how's he going to do that? Listen to what Paul says next, verse 21. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. How do I know that Jesus is going to one day transform my body? Because absolutely nothing can keep him from doing it. Absolutely nothing can stop the power of God working through Jesus Christ ever in any way, but especially in this way. Paul says that all of creation is subject to Jesus. That means that every single person in this room, every single person in South Carolina, every single person in the United States, every single person in the world, past, present, and future, they will meet Jesus when they die. And they will either meet him as Savior or Judge. And they will know him forever, either as Savior or judge. Friend, let me graciously plead with you to say, you want to know him as Savior. And Paul says that, that all of creation is subject to him. That all of creation will bow down to him. So if all of creation will bow down to Jesus and call him Lord, I think I can trust that the one who began the good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I can trust God. He's proven himself or and or. Confidence is an interesting thing that sometimes we forget comes from our salvation. There was a banker in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He got saved under the preaching of a man named Rolf Barnard. And after he got saved, he asked Barnard, he said, should I tell people that, you know, that I'm a Christian? And Barnard said, no, don't don't tell anybody. A few days later, the banker came to Barnard and he told him this story. If I had the right page, I'd tell you the story. He said this, my private secretary has been with me for over 30 years. As I was dictating to her, her eyes brimmed with tears. She got to where she couldn't see what she was writing. She said, I just can't do the work today. I said, is there anything troubling you? She said, yes. 
Could I ask you a question? What's happened to you? He became a citizen of heaven. And it it showed. It wasn't on a card in the church office. It was all over his life. Let me just give you one more thought of of the power for your life right now of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Jeff Thomas said this, death held Christ for a moment and then he rose. We too will be held for a moment and then our lowly bodies will be transformed. Every need will be met, every longing fulfilled, every goal is achieved, Every sense is satisfied. We see him. We are with him. He holds us and hugs us and whispers, this is forever. This is forever. 